Elaine Dardine was forced to watch her three-year-old son beaten to death with a baseball bat. She herself was beaten so badly, she went into labor. Her newborn daughter, Casey, was killed in one blow. By that time, Elaine prayed for death, and some madman happily obliged. Today, over 30 years later, we still don't know for sure who killed the Dardine family. But here's what you should know about this case. Let's recap. What the Dardines lacked in money, they made up for with love. Russell Keith Dardine lived with his three-year-old son, Peter, and his pregnant wife, Ruby Elaine, in a small trailer by the train tracks. He owned the trailer, but they rented the small plot of land it sat on from a family who owned a farm nearby. There wasn't much around this trailer. It was pretty much just by itself in this field by the tracks. The Dardines had been living in the trailer for about a year, but with the baby due in a couple of months, it was time they moved on to something bigger. It was a good time for a move. Keith was working on a job that he liked at the water plant, and Elaine was pulling in a paycheck at the office supply store. Keith's parents lived nearby to help with the babysitting. But there was another reason that Keith wanted to move. He was afraid. See, Ina wasn't the sleepy little haven that it used to be. The county had seen 15 murders over the last two years. It wasn't the kind of place that Keith wanted to raise his family. He figured they could sell the trailer and move to a nearby town by January. Life was good, and it was guaranteed to get better. But then a stranger came knocking. Keith didn't show up for his night shift on November 17th, 1987. That was weird, because this was a guy who was never late, and he rarely called out sick. He brought cheap sodas to work to sell for 50 cents a can to make some extra cash for his toddler's college fund. He would never blow off work, like never ever in a million years. Something was wrong. Nobody picked up when Keith's supervisor called his trailer. His next call was to Keith's father, Don, to see what he knew. Don was just as worried as he was, but he had a spare key. Before he headed that way, though, Don called the sheriff, who agreed to meet him at Keith's trailer. What they found behind that front door shook all of Ina to its core. Elaine and three-year-old Peter were bound and gagged with duct tape. Their skulls had been crushed with a bloody baseball bat that was left behind at the scene. The bat was a birthday present from Keith to Peter. Of course, it was too big for the toddler at that point, but Keith hoped to watch his son grow into it one day. But the most chilling thing of all was the number of bodies carefully arranged together on the bed. There were three. Elaine had been beaten so severely that she went into labor And then her killer snuffed the baby's life out seconds after she was born. Her baby girl, Casey is what they were going to name her, was still attached to the umbilical cord. Keith and his car were nowhere in sight. Suspicion boiled over among the sheriff's deputies. They questioned the parents, his siblings, all through the night. Where's your son? How could he do this? Why did he murder his wife, his son, his newborn girl? Now, the words newborn child, though, didn't make any sense to anyone in Keith's family because, of course, yes, they knew Elaine was very pregnant, but she hadn't given birth yet. So when police questioned his mother, Joanne, about it, she said, what newborn? She had no idea her only granddaughter had been born and killed within minutes. Well, news of the murders spread through Ina like wildfire. Everyone in town figured Keith snapped. Everyone except his parents and siblings. They could not believe that he would do something so heinous. And more than 24 hours after Elaine and the kids were found, they were proved right. A group of hunters spotted Keith's body in a wheat field near the trailer. He'd been shot three times in the head, 
And get this, his killer also cut off his penis and left with the trophy. They found Keith's car in another little town 11 miles south, parked in front of the police station, splashed with blood inside. Ina was on edge. There was a serial killer on the loose in southern Illinois. Nobody felt safe. Though dozens of detectives descended on the Dardeen trailer, but the crime scene didn't make any sense. There was a VCR, camcorder, loose cash in plain view, and yet the killer took none of it. Elaine's jewelry was untouched, and there was no sign of forced entry. Every possible motive was debated and quickly disproven. Cutting off Keith's penis? Seemed like something a jealous lover might do for spite. But there was no evidence that either Keith or Elaine had had an affair. They seemed to be fully committed to each other. A small amount of cannabis was left behind in the trailer. It wasn't much, but maybe it was a clue. Did some kind of deal go bad? Nope. There was no evidence that the Dardines were using or selling anything harder than regular soda. Their toxicology reports came back clean, not even alcohol. When they found a stack of papers with sports scores written on them, police figured they had their answer. Keith's gambling problem. That must have been it. His family paid the price after falling into debt with the wrong loan shark. But no, they were wrong. Keith was as frugal as they came. The sheer brutality of the attack led some to believe that a cult of devil worshippers did it. They probably took Keith's penis and sacrificed the baby in the name of their horned master. But no. A cult expert quickly debunked the Satanist theory. Devil cults harvest organs and they mutilate the bodies even more. They also leave symbols and candles behind. There's nothing like that found in the Dardine trailer. I mean, it made for a great headline, but it wasn't devil worshippers. One thing was certain. All four family members were killed within two hours of each other. They believe this was the order. First Keith, then Peter, then the baby, and then Elaine. And then the stranger tucked the bodies into bed, cleaned the scene, and escaped into the quiet night. Leads dried up in the 90s. Police officers moved on to other cases, but Joanne never stopped looking for answers. Hey, she carried Keith for nine months. She raised him. She watched him become a father. She would be damned if she didn't learn who killed her baby boy and his family. But then, just before 1999 rolled into the year 2000, a promising lead came up in Texas. Terry and Crystal Harris lived in a trailer outside Del Rio, Texas. They had a son and two daughters and were longtime members of Grace Community Church. That's where the Harrises met and befriended a man named Tommy Sells. Little did they know that their new friend was a cold-blooded killer. Tommy Sells had the kind of childhood that turns people into serial killers or motivational speakers. He started getting drunk at seven. His mother sold him to a man at eight. By 10, he dropped out of school. His teens and 20s were spent in a haze of drugs and booze, drifting around the country, taking odd jobs at carnivals and construction sites. Sometimes, most of the time, he would just steal what he wanted. And almost everywhere he went, people went missing and bodies turned up. In 1999, when he weaseled his way into the Harris's lives, he was one year married and working as a used car salesman. He visited the Harris family trailer a lot under the guise of asking Terry for marriage advice. In actuality, he was casing the place, just waiting for the right time to make his move. It came on New Year's Eve, 1999. Terry was out of town. He had driven to Kansas to help a friend move, but he left Crystal and the kids at home in Texas. 
His friend's daughter, 10-year-old Crystal Searles, came over to spend the night with the Harris girl, 13-year-old Kayleen, Katie. Well, that night, Tommy got his 11-inch blade and he slipped into the Harris trailer through an open window. Katie was asleep in the bottom bunk, Crystal on the top. Tommy held his hand over Katie's mouth while he cut off her clothes and sexually assaulted her. She wiggled free and she ran for the door, but Tommy beat her there and stabbed her. Then he flipped on the lights and cut her again and again, 16 times. Crystal, frozen with fear on the top bunk, begged for mercy. like, I'll be quiet. I promise I won't say anything. Well, Tommy wasn't taking any chances. He reaches up and he slits her throat. But Crystal is so smart. She plays dead long enough to see him leave. Now, assuming everyone else in the house is dead too, Crystal runs to a neighbor's house. She's holding her cut throat together with her hands and she can't talk, you know, so she writes a note. The Harrises are hurt. Tell them to hurry. Miraculously, amazingly, Crystal survives and she IDs Tommy as her attacker. For the first time, Tommy can't skip town to escape the law. They have him for Katie's murder. So he figures, why not confess? And while I'm at it, why not brag about all the other bodies I left in my wake over the years? He claims the number was over 70. Police around the country linked him to 22 unsolved cases. But there are plenty more that they thought he was good for including the Dardine murders from 1987. They didn't have the evidence to say for sure that he did it. But according to Tommy, yeah, he was the guy. Over the years, Tommy told three different stories about the Dardines. In the first version, Tommy claims that he met Keith at a gas station and Keith invited him home for a three-way with Elaine. In another, they met at a pool hall and Keith invited him over for dinner and sex. Uh, both of those stories were quickly debunked. Keith was very concerned about his family's safety. One time, a girl showed up at the house, knocking on the door, wanting to use the phone. Keith wouldn't let her in, not with his wife and son in the house. So the idea that he would pick up a random guy and bring him over, laughable. Now, the third version of Tommy's story did fit some working theories from the investigation. So if he was the guy, then this was the most likely scenario. Diane Fanning, author of Through the Window, the book about Tommy Sells, lays it out like this. Tommy drifted into Ina and noticed the for sale sign posted at the Dardine trailer. On the night of November 17th, 1987, he knock, knock, knocked on the door. When Keith answered, Tommy forced his way inside. He used the duct tape from a junk drawer to bind and gag Elaine and Peter. And then he forced Keith out to his own car and together they drove to that empty wheat field about a mile away. Maybe Keith tried to fight. Maybe he tried to run. But Tommy had a gun and Keith is no match for a bullet. The blood found in Keith's car indicates that, yes, he was shot there. Tommy dragged Keith's body into the field, undid his pants and cut his penis off. It wouldn't be a stretch to imagine Tommy taunting his victim with it, saying something like, I'm taking this back to your wife for you. Before he left, though, he shot Keith two more times, but he wasn't finished with the Dardine family. He went back to the trailer and beat three-year-old Peter to death with the bat. As he was beating Elaine, she was forced into early labor. Now, the baby wasn't due until the new year, but the little girl was born right there in the trailer while her mother clung to life. She got no mercy. The bat went down, killing baby Casey only moments after she came into the world. And Elaine followed her minutes later. The killer, 
whoever it was, spent the rest of the night cleaning the scene and arranging the bodies on the waterbed, tucking them in. He eliminated every piece of incriminating evidence and left. There's no evidence that anyone was sexually assaulted along with the other list of horrors that they went through, but that's not to say it didn't happen. After the beating and the birth, no one could say for sure exactly what Elaine went through in her last minutes on earth. As for Tommy Sells, he was never charged with killing the Dardines, but to this day, he is still the primary suspect. Unfortunately, he took the truth of it to his grave. He was found guilty of killing Katie Harris and another woman in 1999 and executed in April 2014. Now, Keith's mother, she isn't sure what to believe. On the one hand, Tommy confessed to killing the Dardines. On the other hand, there's no real proof. When he was quizzed about details that weren't in the papers, like exactly how Elaine's body was found, Tommy didn't know the answers. When he did, it sounded like he was maybe just guessing. But there's one thing that some investigators believe points to him actually telling the truth about his involvement. He mentioned some watermelon ceramics in the trailer, a fact only he would know if he was there. He also said he could lead them to evidence that would prove he killed the Dardines. However, strict Texas laws prevented death row inmates from leaving the state, and they refused to make an exception. But what do you think happened to the Dardine family? Was Tommy Sells the stranger who came knocking? Or did someone else get away with murder? And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.